So as I just uh, briefly alluded before, arguably the most difficult question posed to Christians is the question of suffering and evil. Cre uh, Christians and critics alike wrestle with this, uh, this problem, this question of suffering, in light of the fact that God is also just and good. So we cannot help, or the people cannot help but wonder and question, why does a just and good God allow evil and suffering in the world? Why? Is he not competent enough? Or is he not good enough? Why, if he is truly good, why does he allow these things to happen in the world? Still, just, you know, even this past week, just other news of mass shooting and just, uh, just uh, the news all around this, very, uh, you know, discouraging, right? And especially for those of us who are going through pain and suffering, this issue becomes very personal. It's not just the men, uh, mental and intellectual exercise, but it becomes very personal because we are in pain. We are in pain. We are not even going through so, uh, pain. We are in pain. Right? It is said that many atheists were once Christians who had gone through tragedies in their lives. And that really, you know, they were, um, and that really prompted them to become atheists. That with all the things that they were going through, they said, There's this, I just cannot believe in a God who would allow such tragedy in my life or in someone else's life. Just this past year, you know, a few of our church members uh, have been really devastated by the passing of their beloved family members. And some of us, even at this moment, are going through a lot because of the illness you know, in, of, of their family members. And when we think about this question of suffering, there is no easy answer. There really isn't. But, you know, as we think about suffering, I want to make a point here, and that is that the Christian, uh, for, for, uh, for Christians, as Christians, the big question is not the question of why, but how. How, why does suffering exist may, may not be the answer that we should really seek, but how are we going through the sufferings in our lives. I know we want to know why, but the real challenge before us is how. And what do I mean by this? You know, the Bible emphasizes how to remain faithful in the midst of suffering more than it addresses why suffering exists. The scripture gives some glimpses into why God allows suffering, but more importantly, it provides great resources for persevering in the midst of suffering. We can remain faithful in the midst of suffering by God's grace. And um, we are, I, I'm not talking about 
positive thinking here, right? The prosperity gospel or the likes of Joel Osteen, you know, paint the picture of the reality by, or try to paint the picture of reality by reinforcing the positive thinking. Or just think positive things, right? Put a positive spin to the situation. It'll be all right. It'll just be okay. Just think positive. But we know that the struggle is real, right? We don't simply gloss over or minimize suffering. We don't do that. We don't um, marginalize it. Or somehow, we're going to somehow trick ourselves into thinking that the suffering is okay. Um, it's not a big deal. Or think about other people. What about this and what about that? Think about people who are in a worse situation. right? So you should be thankful or you should, you should feel better about what you are going through. That doesn't really help when you are in suffering, when you are going through so much. You, we don't try to manipulate or try to just trick ourselves in any way. And you know, uh, really the theme of this message is that people of God, people who belong to God, suffer. We suffer. But we also remain faithful by God's grace. That is the main point. We have to have a biblical understanding of suffering. Because when we are in pain, the circumstances and our raw emotions can really dictate how we feel and influence the way we think about the situation. I remember um, before I came to this church at Embrace, you know, at the previous church, I was serving there uh, for a number of years, and then it didn't end well, uh, too well uh, because basically they said that, uh, the leadership said that, uh, well, we are moving in different direction. But, um, there was like a the senior, ch- uh, senior pastor uh, resigned and he went on to another uh, you know, place of ministry. Um, and then the, the church leadership decided that, well, we're going to go in a different direction. So you are no longer part of the future direction of our church. So it, I, I was really taken aback. It, was, it caught me by surprise. And like kind of that really started this whole like self-doubt about, uh, on me, about me. And I, I remember before uh, Pastor Jay asked me, how did you, you know, wrestle with that? How, how did you get over that? Because that was kind of like my like a midlife crisis kind of thing. I, I didn't know what, what, uh, what, I was sh- what I should be doing next. And these things. And so it was a very difficult time. I was very confused. You know, I would ask God, why is this happening? I thought, you know, I was building relationships with people. Um, and it just, it was taken away in a way. I was like, why is this happening? So it was a very difficult time. And, um, you know, it, and so we, we all, you know, kind of when we go through a really difficult time at the moment, it can really influence, right? We cannot really think straight during these difficult times. So having the right perspective will help us remain grounded. We are in a journey. And how can we finish our Christian pilgrimage when the road is really hard? This long and winding road is filled with pain and suffering. So the question is, can your faith withstand the strain of this difficult journey?
how can we make it home when there is life is so hard there is just a daily grind and all these outside forces even internally just feeling insecure or just feeling incompetent how do we just overcome all these you know all these things it seems like an overwhelming odds are stacked against us so how can we make it home we're going to be looking at briefly obviously the book associated with suffering and that is job you know this book deals with the topic with a surprising frankness because here throughout this book other than the first couple chapters and the last chapter it really shows the raw emotions and the, the, the real struggle that Job is going through. And he's, he's really struggling. And he just uh, really just laments before God. Um, and this book does not suggest that God is evil or incompetent to stop suffering from happening. But the one takeaway from Job is that, that we are not to be caught off guard when trials come our way. So it's not a question of if, but a question of when they come. And so there are two things that I would like to bring out uh, from this. And the first point is the suffering is universal. The suffering is universal. It is inescapable in this fallen world. And actually it is integral to being a Christ follower, going through suffering. We cannot simply avoid it or somehow try to just like bend our ways, cut corners to somehow avoid suffering. Like it or not, whether we want to accept it or not, trials should be expected. And also, the fact that suffering is universal, it also implies that sometimes that the innocent will suffer. Chapter 1, verse 1, we didn't read it, but Job chapter 1, verse 1 says this, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So here, what we see is that at times, the innocent will suffer. Now, when I say innocent, I don't mean in the sense of being sinless. Of course, we all are sinful, including Job, every one of us except Christ. But I'm not talking about innocent in the sense that, uh, uh, that, that we are not without sin or we are perfect. But what I mean is innocent in the sense, that, sense of having nothing to do with the cause of the suffering. People who were the victims of shooting, mass shooting, Victims of the racism. Those people really do not ha didn't have anything to do with the, the cause of the suffering. When somebody filled with hatred or maybe mental illness or what have you, right? And uh, commit crime, the people who happen to have the different skin color or people who happen to be shopping in a certain place or walking on the street, they received the brunt of the crime. So in that sense, 
Not because they are sinless, but in the sense that they have nothing to do with the cause of suffering. So it does happen. And in this case, Job too. In that sense, he was innocent. He didn't really have anything to do with the cause of the suffering. He was a, righteous, uh, he was a blameless man, righteous man before God. You know, some, uh, some suffering is disciplined, disciplined for sin. As Romans 6.23, right, it makes it clear. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So then definitely the death that we all face, in the end, it is a discipline, right? It is a consequence that we have to face. Ezekiel 18.4 says the soul who sins is the one who will die. Basically reaping what we, uh, reaping what we are sowing. Right. Consequences of our own sin. That's why oftentimes the sufferings that we go through is a result. In the life of David too, because of his um, you know, adultery and other sins, there was a great suffering. That as long as he was king, he was, you know, so, so often, you know, his sons tried to usurp his throne. They came after him at different times. So he was on the run from his own sons. He suffered greatly. A lot of that is because of his own sin. Genesis chapter 3, when God pronounced judgment to the woman because of their disobedience, he said there will be pain in childbearing for women. It is most, um, you know, it's just the most, it is an amazing thing for a woman to give birth to a precious life. But there will be pain because of the consequences of their disobedience. And for as to man, God said the ground will be cursed because of your disobedience and rebellion, and in pain, Genesis chapter 3 says, in pain we, we shall eat the crop. That there will be just a lot of sweat, a lot of blood, a lot of tears that have to be shed for us to sustain ourselves, to get just enough for us to eat. That's why work is hard. Many of us, right, how many of us can uh, really say, well, you know, my work, you know, work it, it's, it's so easy. It's a breeze, right? I have no issues. I, you know, it's so fun. And it, it's, you know, very few, right? For many of us, it's hard work. Many of us have to just stare at the screen for 8, 10, 12 hours a day, just make earning, right? It's difficult. And I hear people really just having a hard time with coworkers or some demanding bosses that they have. Right? At work, it's really hard. All of that is because, once again, part of this, the, the suffering that we go through is part of it is because sometimes it is because of our sin. The struggles in, at work, that just, that's how it's going to be. Because that's how God, uh, that was part of the judgment. But some suffering is not a result of our sin. John chapter 9, there was a man who was born blind. 
And the disciples of Jesus asked him, Who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind? Because at the time, the teaching was that if you uh, have handicap from your birth, if you are lame, if you are blind, if you are mute, what have you, it's because of sin. Right? So they asked him, the fact that he was born blind, is it because of his parents' sin or is it because of his own sin? But Jesus said neither. It was not because of any of that that he had to be born blind. It was to display the glory of God. So there are, there are times, not every suffering that comes to us is a direct result of our sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 and 21 says this, For what cre credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, you, uh, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is, gr this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So there are times that we may suffer for the gospel's sake, for, the, uh, for doing good, or for no reason at all, for uh, no apparent reason. If you read in the Job, uh, his friends, uh, his friends thought that, that only the guilty suffer. So he, they come along when Job was really struggling so much uh, that, that they thought that Job uh, was suffering was because um, he, was, he was somehow guilty. You did something wrong. So they were trying to just like tell him, you better, you know, you, you are wrong. You, you are in the wrong, right? You are guilty. But it turns out that they were wrong. Job was innocent in the sense that he had nothing to do with the cause of the suffering. So one thing that we have to understand is that suffering is universal. And the second point that I want to bring out to you is that God sovereignly sanctions suffering. Maybe, can we go to the next point? The second point is that God sovereignly sanctions suffering. Actually, uh, when we, uh, in, yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. Testing, testing. Testing, testing, mic testing. Testing, testing, mic testing. Testing, testing, mic testing. Testing, testing, mic testing. Testing. Testing, testing, mic testing, 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 mic testing, testing, testing. 
Okay. All right. Sorry. Sorry for the uh, the confusion. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, for those of you guys who are at home, uh, we uh, the people here uh, at church uh, somehow uh, people cannot hear. So we thought that um, that you guys weren't able to hear. But actually, uh, I, I was told that that at least the people at home can hear the sermon. So I will just continue, and hopefully the people here can just hear my. Uh, just, you know, audible voice. Um, so the second point that I want to bring out to you is that God sovereignly sanctions suffering. Uh, Job chapter 1, verses 8 through 12, it says this. I don't know if you have it, um, but let, let me just read it. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before, before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from uh, walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him? and his house and all that he has on every side. You have, blessed on the, uh, you have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will, cause, uh, he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has, in your, uh, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So there, there's a, there's a picture of uh, just the conversation that God and Satan had. And there, Satan is accusing, it, Satan's charge is this, that God, Job, that, that you, want, you wanted me to consider, Job is faithful to you only because you are good to him and blessed him with many things. If you withdraw your goodness from him, he will surely walk away from you and reveal his true character. He's going he's gonna to curse you and walk away from you. So in a way, basically, you know, Satan is first charging or accusing Job, right, that He's being opportunistic, right? He's just doing good only because uh, he's receiving good things from the Lord. And also, in a way, Satan is also indirectly accusing God as well. People love you, God. People love you only because you are good to them. I mean, you have to be honest with yourself, right? It's an artificial adoration that you are getting. You are kind of stringing them. The, the, the adoration and the fear that you receive from God, uh, fr from people, people like Job, it's because you are good to them, right? So uh, whatever the, uh, the accolades and adoration that you are getting, it's artificial. And because you are stringing them, because you know that they are, this is what they are doing. So in a way, you are also being manipulative. Take away your blessing, and people will curse you. Their love for you is superficial, and it's conditional. 
They only care about your blessings. You're really stoking your own ego by giving them good things. So that is really uh, in a way that uh, Satan is also accusing God. And so God allows Satan to inflict suffering on Job. Will God and Job be vindicated when Job's world crumbles? Will he indeed curse God when everything is taken away from him as Satan charges? His wife revealed what Satan was accusing God of or just kind of telling him this is what's going to happen. Because it, uh, if you go to like Job chapter 2, verse 9, uh, this is what it says. Then his wife said, when everything was taken, he, he had like seven sons and three daughters. And he had like so much like wealth, like, you know, the cattle, you know, the, the camels and all these things. And one day, everything was taken away from him. Even their, uh, his own son, uh, own children, they were all at the elder, uh, oldest son's um, house and just having a meal together. And there was a great wind came and then just swept them away. So in one day, everything, like literally everything was taken away from him. As they were in shock, verse 9 of chapter 2, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Right? Whew. <laughs> That's some way to like, yeah, for, uh, for a wife to, be, wife to be supportive, right? And just curse God and die. And that's exactly what she was, that, that Satan said, that's what's going to happen. Right? When God will just bring, inflict suffering on people, people will, you know, flop. It, people will just like cave in and they're going to turn away from God and walk away. But in the midst of all this, Job does not, you know, wilt. And there's only one way to find out about the, the, the charge of the Satan because he was saying, well, if you take away all this, Job will surely curse you. So Job was in suffering. The fact that God sanctions suffering raises both problem and the hope. The problem because God sanctions suffering. So God sanctions our suffering. How can God do this to us? How can God do this to me? God, you sanction this. You allow this to happen. Why? Why is this happening in my life? Right? So it poses a problem. Because God is involved. And it is God, actually, who sanctions our suffering. And that's the uh, part where most of us get stuck. The fact that God sanctions our suffering. But at the same time, knowing that God sovereignly sanctions our suffering gives us the hope. Because God is in control. And it means that when God sovereignly sanctions it, that there is a higher purpose and a plan that we can have hope in the midst of our suffering, even though we may not fully understand why. The Chaldeans, Sabians, evil murderers, thieves, as well as a natural disaster caused Job immense suffering. And behind all these 
was Satan. And behind Satan was God. Unless God allows it, Satan cannot touch us. As hard as it may be, and some people cannot really accept this teaching, but it is clear that God sovereignly sanctions our suffering. I mean, why we suffer is a mystery. It's often a mystery. In the case of Job, actually, God never explains to Job why he suffered so much. He never did. You know, we may dive into Job expecting to find answers to suffering, but we will be uh, disappointed if that's what we are looking for. I remember when I was young, right, my uh, high school days or college days, you know, there was a time that I was really suffering, just going through a really tough time. And so, I just, but, you know, remotely I heard from, you know, other people, oh, you know, the Job, he suffered so much. But then you know, God came through for him. So I read, I mean, it's, it's a long book, right? It's not an easy read, to be honest with you, right? So I was just like, oh, I'm just reading it and just like kind of hoping to find answers to why I'm suffering, right? I was hoping that this book would clearly address this issue. When I finished Job, I was like, huh? Is this it? Where's the answer that I'm looking for? Why, is it, why am I suffering? I mean, what is God saying? I didn't get it. I was so disappointed. I was like, oh man, did I just waste like a few months of my life just reading through this book of Job and not getting the answer that I want? The book does not answer the problem of suffering. Instead, unexpectedly, it praises the Creator's sovereignty, wisdom, and glory. And it's really, if you think about it, it's counterintuitive. Right? You think that this book really is about the suffering of Job, and hopefully by the end of the book, that God will clearly tell him or like explains to us why there is suffering. But instead, it focuses on the sovereignty and the glory of God. We, along with Job, are asking question A, but the book addresses B. What it focuses on in the face of our burning question of why, of why is God's glory and sovereignty. God, why am I suffering? Why are you doing this to me? Come on, God. Look at what I'm going through right now. I just don't understand. Why, God? And God comes back to us by saying, turn your eyes unto me and see my glory. That's how he responds to Job and to many of us. And we may be thinking, but that's not what I was asking, God. I was asking for why. But you're telling me to just look at you and behold your glory? In the climax of the story, God actually overwhelms Job with eloquent rhetorical questions, starting in verse 30, uh, chapter 38. Uh, after all this uh, discourse between Job and his friends, and you know, Job was just agonizing, and said, God, why are you doing this? I don't understand. What have I done wrong? And his friends were saying, no, you did something wrong, right? You better repent. And they said, no, I did not. 
And then um, in chapter, uh, chapter 38, then Lord, uh, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined, the, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out, who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? So he goes on and on through chapter 38, 39, 40, 41. It's just an ongoing question that God asks Job. Were you there? Do you know? Do you know where the wind blows? Do you know how this whole world was created? Do you know how the things are uh, working in this universe? Were you there? Are you the one who caused this? Did you mean to do all this? So he keeps asking questions. Job gets overwhelmed. And in chapter 42, Job does not respond with, ah, finally I understand. Right? I'm satisfied with your answer. That's not how he responds. But he responds by saying, I repent. When God asked all these questions about the foundations of this world and the universe, the created order, and all these things, he says, I repent. And that's the passage that we just read, oh, the, the today's passage. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know here and I will speak, I will question you, and you make it known to me. I, have, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. He did not repent of sins that allegedly brought on his suffering. That's not what he repented. What he repented of is the attitude, his attitude before God, demanding an answer for everything. Basically, what his mind, his attitude was, I hold you accountable, God, right? You are answerable to me. You owe me an explanation. I am going through this. And one day, all of my possession was gone. Not only that, all my beloved children, Ten of them was gone in an instant. You owe me an explanation. What is this? Why did you, why did you do this? Right. I know it is you, so why? He was demanding an answer from God. When bad things happen to us, our natural instinct is to make sense of it. And when, it can, when we cannot do it, then we direct our confusion and frustration on God 
and ask why. We just, you know, put our hands up in the air and say, why, God? Why? Why me? Why this? However, what, God, uh, what Job reveals to us is that God is above and beyond our realm of existence, and he does not play by our rules and expectations. He's sovereign and is not answerable to us. We are. We are answerable to him. And so often, when we go through suffering, when we ask the question of why, we tend to kind of point fingers at him. Why? This is, you did this. Answer me. You owe me an explanation. You owe me an apology. See, we as human beings, we have this like insatiable like, appetite for answers. We want answers. So even to our creator, as his creation, we demand an answer from him. Okay, you are in control? Okay, you answer. You answer me. I don't understand, so you better explain it to me in a way that I, uh, that I can accept, in a way that I can understand. You owe me an explanation. That attitude is something that we need to watch out for. And that was what God was pointing out at Job. It was so wonderful and just all this thing that God has done. And Job comes to the realization, my attitude before God was wrong. Now, this does not mean that he does not care about what we go through. The cross of Jesus Christ speaks more powerfully than any words. God knows suffering. It's not like he's not telling us, to just shut our mouth, right, when we go through suffering. He knows our suffering. He gave his only begotten son who suffered and died for us. And by doing so, the father himself suffered much. I mean, ask any parents, any of them, they would rather suffer than watch their children suffer. Isn't that true if you are a parent? Can you just handle watching your own children suffering greatly? Wouldn't you rather just suffer on behalf of your child? When children suffer, parents suffer even more. So when Christ suffered and died for our sins, we will never understand the depth of suffering that God the Father must have gone through. Jesus was crying out on the cross. The passage that we read, the call to worship, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes, even Jesus himself asked that why question. So I'm not saying that we should never ever ask the why question. It's okay to ask because we don't understand. We can confess before God that we do not understand why. But the, the attitude that we bring before God, if he's saying, asking why question to demand an answer from him as if he were, he were answerable to us, that is not the right attitude. But as Jesus was crying out in desperation, why have you forsaken me? 
But the father instead had to pour out his righteous wrath on his own son. God himself knows suffering. And he probably, he definitely suffered more than we, we, we have ever gone through, any suffering that we may have ever gone through. When we suffer, let's remember that God himself knows suffering. He's not a God who cannot relate to what we are going through. He experienced it himself first. What he does is calling us to turn to him, recognize, recognize that he is in control, that he sovereignly sanctions our suffering, and so that we can trust him. Though we may never know the exact reasons in this life, with the knowledge that all wise God sovereignly sanctions suffering, we can put it in the right perspective and remain faithful. And we will be home soon. You know, we human, humans are fascinated with journeys. You know, the Odyssey of Ulysses, the Chronicles of Narnia, Star Trek. You know, something about traveling draws our attention. But what grips us is the desire to get home, coming home. Dorothy may see the wonders of the Emerald City, but there is no place like home. She wants to go, she wanted to go home, back to Kansas. Maybe the most profound of the journey story, stories is the Pilgrim's, Pilgrim's Progress, Christian, winds his way from the city of destruction to the celestial city, trying to get home. Even the song goes, there's a song, you know, I'm coming home, I'm coming home. Tell the world that I'm coming home. Something just, you know, I, you know when I first heard this song, it was like, oh, it's just like coming home. Tell the world that I'm coming home. Because there is a home that is waiting for us. I know that's not what it's saying, but um, it just grips us. This is idea of coming home as we are in a difficult journey. There is something special about coming home. For me, like it moves me deeply when I see video footage of the soldiers serving the country and when they come home, right? And when they uh, reunite, when they join their family members in there, you know, there's, there's like, you know, like there's sometimes surprises for their children at school or at other places, not expecting their dad or their mom to come. And then just boom, all of a sudden they dis, you know, appear before them. And then, oh, daddy, oh, mommy, and then, or just you know, husband and wife, you know, just running to each other, just embracing each other, coming home, right? It really moves me. So what we have to understand is this world is not our home as we have been looking at the first Corinthians in the late, uh, latter chapters, this world is not our home. Our home is in heaven. And by God's grace, may we persevere in the journey fraught with suffering until we come home, that our hearts will be in the right place, our hope firmly placed on the promises of God and the reality that he will take us home by his grace as we persevere. So for many of us who are going through so much, a lot of suffering, I encourage you to stay the course, 
persevere. I know it's difficult. But to keep our eyes on the Lord. Continue to hope. Continue to trust in Him. And continue and in, stay in the race. And in no time, He will come to our rescue and reveal Himself to us. Let's pray.